Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. A bit of a change of pace today. We're going into the world of soccer. I'm going to be interviewing Tab Ramos, who is the head coach of the Houston Dynamo. He's one of the best American soccer players who's ever lived and I know a lot of my normal football listeners might not be aware of him I know our soccer listeners know exactly who he is and how he is also likely at some point going to be a coach of the U.S. men's national team I should say there's a very good chance that he's in that pool of people that uh, are being talked about for just that so I had a really good time researching this and getting to know a lot about U.S. soccer, really, especially in the 1990s from the World Cup in 1990, and Tab Ramos played on three of those World Cup teams in 1994 and 98, and frankly, I've always watched in a little bit of bemusement and confusion as I see various Americans getting into soccer, and this is the year. This is the year I do it with the encouragement of several good friends of mine who are hardcore soccer fans. This is the year I'm going to go to a bunch of MLS games, and I'm going to get into understanding the history of the game more. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it, man. That is my pledge. And as we all know, when I make a pledge, there's a good chance that, say, if I promise that it will be a podcast within the next week, at least a 20% chance that I'm going to have that podcast. So I'm saying there's a 20% chance that I'm actually going to follow through on this and become somewhat more of a hardcore soccer fan. This interview with... Tab Ramos went a long way towards that. Love this guy. Really easy to talk to. He was in the middle of training camp with the Dynamo and was super, super, super busy. He sat down with me for about a half hour. We had a great time. So enjoy the podcast and please subscribe and give me a five-star review if you feel like it. If not, just leave it alone. No need to tell me that you think I'm three stars. Just do me a solid. Just leave it alone. As promised, I'm here with Tab Ramos. He had a 14-year professional career in Spain, Mexico, and the United States. Member of three USMNTs in 1990, 94, and 98. In 1996, he became the first MLS player ever signed to the Metro Stars, later the Red Bulls. And he then went on to coaching first youth youth then the U-20s to three consecutive World Cup quarterfinal appearances. Uh, he is one of the very best American soccer players that has ever been, and he's currently the coach of the Houston Dynamo. Tab, how are you today? Very good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> I've, uh, I've had a blast learning about you. I, mean, I, I, I told you before we started recording, I'm a soccer novice, um, and I knew your name, and I knew some of your exploits, but going back to 1990 and reading and watching the World Cups over again now that I'm a little bit older and having some perspective on it. It's, uh, it's, it's been a really wild journey from you from Uruguay when you came over in, uh, in the early 1980s and you were 11 years old. I mean, yeah, soccer has, uh, has provided quite, quite a life for me. You know, um, 
it allowed it's allowed me to travel it's allowed me to um put myself in situations in which i could help a whole country uh sort of come along and you know when i look at where we were in 1989 and where we are now it's you know the whole country's changed yeah well what was it like when you came up from uruguay you're 11 years old you came to new jersey and there weren't a lot of kids playing soccer at your middle school uh, not necessarily at my middle school, but I, I was fortunate enough to move into an area where there was a lot of, uh, Scottish and Irish immigrants, uh, in Portuguese as well. So soccer was, uh, was an important sport in the area. Is it, did you find acceptance pretty quickly through soccer? I, that's the only way I found acceptance into, into the general, let's say population because it was, you know, it was difficult to make friends. Uh, but once we started playing soccer together, then it became a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And then you moved up pretty quickly to being identified as one of the better players in your region. You started going on travel teams. Um, and then what was the process after that? Did you you went to North Carolina State, but you were on the Olympic team in 1984. Was that while you were at NC State? No. so or, actually, You were I, almost on the Olympic team in right, 1984. I got cut from the Olympic team in 1984. I went to the 83 Pan Am Games. Uh, but then for the 84 games, they uh, they included uh, professionals for the first time. Uh, and so I got cut about a couple of weeks before the Olympics. So after having been with the Olympic team for a year and a half, uh, you know, at the time, I think I was only, I don't know, like 16 or 17, something like that. And uh, yeah, so I, I got cut from the 84 Olympic team and then I went to the Olympics in 1988. Did you see that coming? Did you know that uh, it was a possibility? I mean, there was always a possibility, but I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was difficult. Was it was it your first real hardship in soccer? It was actually because I remember you know coach calling me for a meeting and I really didn't know what the meeting was about. So it wasn't like there were a bunch of guys getting cut. Like we had already cut about half the team, uh, and this this was like a last minute. I think it was the day of the there was a, a midnight deadline for the Olympics that day to turn in the roster. So there was n- there was nothing else expected, and I get coach to call me in for a meeting, and I I remember how short it was, how short the meeting was. I came into his office, and he s- just basically said, "You're really young. You'll have other opportunities. We just got a release for a professional player from the Cosmos, I think it was, and uh, and we're gonna let you go." Yeah, but and that's I was like, oh, okay. So I called my parents. I was like, "I'm coming home." Like no one expected it. You yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, that's right? like and and saying you're young, you'll get over it. That feels like when it you was get kinda dumped what or it was. something. Yeah, it was kind of. It doesn't way. make you feel better. It was like you'll you'll be fine. I was like, oh, okay. Well, at that yeah. time too, that was only four years after the Miracle on Ice. Right, so you were, you guys probably were thinking, okay, we're going to be college kids taking on other nations. Well, I guess at that time, all the other nations were amateurs too. Did everybody they else were amateurs? Went this. And then it changed to pros. Yeah. and then we had already changed our team, so we had already been playing with pros. So I just assumed that was on the team. Yeah. So uh, you know, it was just uh, it was a difficult moment, but it was a good one to live. I'm you know I don't want to say I'm glad I lived it, but those are all good experiences. You know, mm-hmm. later down the road because they make you. They make you understand that it's not that it's not that easy. So you're coming here, and the first thing I noticed at the facility here is that you've got a bunch of different countries' flags out around the practice field. Now, are those all the flags of your individual players? Every player is represented on our training field, and every staff member that's here at this facility is represented. Are you so you want to? Do, do you spend time kind of getting 
geography lessons from each other? <laughs> uh, well, we we could. Yeah. You know, soccer is, you know, it's always been a, a, a world sport. So, you know, everybody's familiar with every country. But in general, it was more about making players feel comfortable. You know, that, yeah, we're in Houston and we all come from different places and we're fighting for Houston. Uh, but everyone gets to have a little piece of their own home at a training facility. And I thought that that that's what it would be about. And if, if we were to sign a new player, say, tomorrow from another country, he gets to come in here and hang his flag. And I think that's, you know, that's that's a good uh, that's a good thing for, for that player, for him to feel at home. Yeah, that is really cool. I, I thought when I saw that, I thought of Greg Popovich, the coach of the Spurs, who's they have a lot of international players and always have, and he always goes out of his way. Because, you know, on a basketball team, there's still going to be more Americans than anything yeah. else. But he tries to really get everybody to know about those guys' individual countries. And It's important because when I'm in the locker room, I'm pushing the players to become part of the community here. So although at the facility we want to we wanna make sure that our club welcomes them and that they have a little piece of their country here. But at the same time, I'm I'm – it's very important to me that the players, you know, no matter where they come from, that they start learning English, that they start learning the customs of Texas and in Houston in particular, uh, because at the end of the day, it is our obligation, everyone that comes from outside, to adapt to the people here, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And you have a, because of your background, I suppose, you're fluent in Spanish. You came here when you're 11 from Uruguay. Um, you played in Spain. Uh, you played in Mexico. You've seen... You've seen how much it helps you, I'm sure, to be able to go to Me go to Spain, go to Mexico, and, and and assimilate into the culture more quickly. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's there's a lot of young players that we have who have aspirations of one day maybe playing in Europe. Uh, and most players in Europe speak English, like they speak both. So English, Spanish, English, French, English, German, Eng but English is sort of the common denominator. So the players that come here who don't speak English, I think there's a great value in them learning the language for wherever they go next. When you've been working with U20s, you only get so much time with them, correct? You don't, you don't necessarily get to instill a culture. Right. So well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's actually, it, it, it's actually quite easy because all you have to do to create a culture within the U20 national team is the way I did it anyway was uh, to make sure that they understood the players that came before them. Mm -hmm. And so, like, when we went to World Cup qualifying, you know, we'd stay in a hotel for a month to qualify, but above their beds, I'd have a picture of a former player, um, you know, say an important one, like a, a, a Brian McBride or a Landon Donovan or, you know, players who have been in the U20 national team before who have also made it to the senior World Cup. And so it gives them that incentive of, you know, I'm that guy was in my shoes at one point. He was trying to qualify for the U20 World Cup. He was here and he did well here. Uh, and then he made it all the way through. And so I try to relate that message to them. Uh, in our meal room, we had pictures of all the players who had played in – during the World Cup, we had pictures of all the players who had played the U20 World Cup who then went on to play the Senior World Cup because although you could be on a youth national team, it doesn't really mean that you will be a great pro or have a long career or that you'll ever play on our senior national team. Yeah. And so just want them to know that there's still that step of those guys that are special ones, and there's not that many of them. There's maybe 20 that have played the the U20 World Cup and the Senior World Cup. Yeah. So, so it kind of puts them – so that's the culture. So the culture is, look, I'm playing for the Crest, I'm playing for the U.S., and I'm in this difficult journey, but I can see the guys who have been here before, so I'm kind of – I'm following that path. It seems like – because I've heard you interviewed this about this a couple times, and correct me if I get this wrong, um, it seems like you very much 
want guys to feel and understand and know that they need to earn things. And that to be on the national team, it's not a matter of just being pegged as one of the bright young stars that you're going to have to beat out one of the full-grown men that's that's there right now is that is that fair to say and that's what i that's basically what i told the academy players here um you know that that you know the door is open to all the players uh and you know we had a 15 year old at practice the other day we we've had a couple 16 year olds training with us and they hang in there a lot of them and you know and i and i will push them and i know they'll make mistakes at times but we'll push them but at the end of the day there's no easy ride I mean, you know, you know this as well. Like when you have a young player come into a team, by no means is everyone, you know, everyone's nice to you, but by no means are they comfortable with you taking someone's job. So, you know, if you're 17 years old, 18 years old, and you sign with the first team, and, in, in, you know, let's say in football, you're 21, you're coming from college, you sign your first contract, well, you're taking a job of someone who's likely in the 30s, early 30s, who has children at home, who actually needs that job like he's counting on that job so it's it's difficult no one's going to move out of the way for you because you're the next superstar you're going to have to earn it so you have this system with the u20s where you're showing them their heroes Mm -hmm. and showing how they could be the next brian mcbride or or whomever else how do you how do you transfer that over to a situation like mls oh it's 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 i don't want to say it's the same but the one thing i i mentioned to the players here is that you know I came here to champion club. This club has already won a couple of championships, right? And so it's our obligation as the people here representing. We're representing sort of everyone else who's done it before. Yeah. Uh, and and we we need to remain a champion club because this is what the club is used to. So the club, for me, the club is always bigger than any one player and any or any one person, and uh, on the staff or anywhere else. And so I want to make sure that everybody understands that that's the case. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You chose when you were done playing to go back and coach youth soccer. And you've taken kind of a unique path than a lot of other great players who just step immediately into an assistant job with MLS. Was that by design or did you just want to do something and you realized that you fell in love with coaching as you were coaching yeah it wasn't it wasn't a plan you know i i've played with players in the past who you could tell were going to be coaches you know and you've been on teams and you see guys that are really well educated on on the way things operate and how they work and you can you can kind of tell oh that guy's going to be a coach i don't think i was i was that i was that guy i only realized after 
I was done with the game. I think I played the game by instinct a lot, mm-hmm. and I listened to my coaches very little. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I feel that. Were you that, coachable, but you didn't yeah, necessarily listen I, to them, or did I, they think you were difficult? I was coachable yeah. because I wanted to get on the field. Okay. So I did everything I could. So if it, if it was a matter of training hard, I always try to train as hard as anybody. I try to win everything we played on in – in practice, mm-hmm. like I try to, I try to be the best player every single day. Right. That didn't change, but it it didn't it didn't have necess- it didn't necessarily have a connection to the tactics of the team. I just wanted to be the best player, mm-hmm. and so and so that translated for coaches because they saw that every day. So it was easy for me to be on the on the first team and, and play. You, you naturally had a vision, perhaps that can't necessarily be coached but because you have that you can you can grasp a lot of things maybe more easily or without well, I, without having to, to really know it by by the book version I exactly exactly and, and I think that's why the game after it became easy for me to I think to teach um, you know once I retired from playing and I started going to seminars and things like that I, I realized that I knew very little about the game and then when when I started with my B license and then I took my A license um, I, I realized that, wow, so much of what I know is applicable to all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just you have to figure out a way to teach it. And, and yeah, I, I took a different pathway. I, I went to teach kids basically from the beginning, and I went all the way up. And, uh, and I feel like I learned a lot. Well, yeah, do you feel like, you know, that you have a certain perspective on things that maybe a lot of other coaches, whether they're great players or not, don't necessarily have? Because if, because I've do this when I go back and I try to coach youth football and yeah. try to teach a kid how to get down into a three point stance, right. I'm lost. <laughs> you know, like the very right. basics. Yeah. It's kind of shocking how little you actually have forgotten about how to learn the basics. Yeah. So I would it, it it provided me a pathway full of mistakes that I could that I could make. Yeah. So it it it, it gave me a possibility to grow, uh, to and gave me a possibility to try things. And I think that's where the value has been for me over the last however many years because I've been, before I came to the national team eight years ago, I spent a good six, eight years of a learning phase in which I could try things. Right. And that was that was amazing. In a relatively consequence-free environment, you're exactly. not gonna, you're not, you're not breaking anybody's careers or anything. No one's by doing saying this. anything, you know, because no one knows better, really. So yeah. even though I knew I, I got something wrong. No one else kind of, no one else knew, but I knew it. And so I, I got to change things. So it was a good, uh, it was a good period for me. So when it comes to establishing culture, you have a plan. When it comes to establishing strategy or your playing style with the dynamo, do you come in having a vision of what you want to do? Or is it a matter of getting to figure out, okay, what can these guys do and mold it into that? I, I mean, I know exactly what I want. Yeah. So I, I have no doubt of what I want. It's just whether you can get the players to do exactly what you want and whether you have the roster that can do the things that you need to get done. And, mm-hmm. and, and so now it becomes, it becomes a matter of adapting. So how can I get our best players in the best position possible to be the best they can be? At the end of the day, it's not about my system. My system's really not important. What's important is that I can get the most out of my best players. And if I can do that, then I think the team will be successful. Yeah. Is it, has it been a refreshing challenge or change to be working with men versus boys at this point? Um, I mean, it has been, but at the same time, I feel like I was working with the absolute elite yeah. that the country had. So all the players that I had had a lot of quality, and I felt like I could take things for granted with them because 
every pass was perfect, every play was well made. And at the end of the day, although they were young, they were all professional players. Um, at the same time, I think the experience that I had with the senior national team working with Jurgen Klinsmann at the World Cup and working with those senior players every day, because they weren't just senior players, but they were the best senior players right. that we have. And so I had an opportunity to be training those guys every day, um, you know, for a period of three or four years, not every single day, but every time we had a camp. So I feel like I learned a lot and, um, you know, there's nothing, you know, from the moment I stepped in here and now that I've had a, a full week, week and a half with the team, uh, there's really nothing that surprised me. So, you know, I feel like I've been really well prepared. Well, I, one thing I heard you say that I really appreciated as a player, I put myself in a player's shoes. I heard you talking about the value of specificity when you're coaching, being very specific about what you want, that, okay, you're going to pass the ball to here and I need you to do this every time. And can you do that for me? Um, and I think one of your coaches was saying that to you and that was one of the lessons you learned. Um, but I, it's a it's a really simple lesson that I think sometimes coaches forget that it doesn't always have to feel complex to the player. That it's just a really a matter right. of just explaining exactly what you want out of them. Well, you know, the difficult part is that soccer is a free flowing game. So you can't stop and call a play. Yeah. Right. And so like in, in football you would have your specific function in one play. And that function may be two steps to the side and then you block or whatever it is, yeah. right? But you know that's what you're doing. In soccer, every play is completely different than the last and you have to you have to be a little bit going on the run. So I think what's important is to provide guidelines for the players. Okay, if the ball's here, these are some of the movements that I'm giving you an option to make. Uh -huh. um, but in the end, it's really about finding your best players in the, in the best situation where they can be successful. Have you, since you started coaching, because you have, you have very two two distinct careers, obviously, your career as a player, your career as a coach. Do you take a certain, a different type of pride in coaching um, than you did as a player, perhaps? I, I feel yeah. like it, I feel like you might appreciate coaching more than any young man would appreciate being a player because you kind of grow up and you're a player and there you are. But you don't, never, you don't necessarily you make don't that do, choice. Yeah, you don't really do anything. You as just much, become that. As right? a player, as much as we want to take credit for I work so hard, I work so hard, you know, at the end of the day, just having fun through it, and yes. you just become a bro because you're better than everybody else. But it looks better and, on the sneaker commercial yeah, right. if you make it look like a grind. Yeah, you, I'm yeah. working so much harder than everyone. That's why I made it. Yeah. You know, but you know, it sounds good in theory, but that's not. You know, it doesn't work like that. You know, that to answer your question a little bit, I, I mean, I, although a lot of people outside of my area where I live now, I'm here in Houston. A lot of what you know, sort of the noise that's been made is, you know, that I was a player. You know, like that's what people want to hear. You yeah. know, like. Here's Tab, he was a player, he played for the U.S., blah, 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 three World Cups, all that stuff. But I don't see myself as a player. Like, my playing days were so, so long ago. I mean, I retired from playing in 2002. Like, I see myself as a coach. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the eye I see through every single day. So although I played, it's almost like another lifetime for me. That's not part of really who I am. And you can see, uh, and the kids... They, they don't appreciate. Uh, <laughs> like you're, you're, uh, we're uh, old now, right? Yeah, yeah. No, they don't know. The kids don't know you. You know, obviously. which is and that's not players, a criticism. That's no, just no. The players don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously they'll Google you because they want to know what's going on. But, but other than that, you know, I even had it. I had that issue with the U20 team. You know, I would bring, you know, let's say, you know, retired players like uh, Brian McBride or like a Marcelo Balboa or like guys who have done a lot for U.S. soccer, and I would bring them in and say, hey guys, just remember this that. You know, you're Marcelo Baboa, you're Tony Miola, you're, but these guys don't know you. Yeah. Like, 
like we live in this world of like of course I know Tony Miola he's he was great you know like but they don't right they don't it was like because you think if about it, like, if you're like 20 bringing years, in Larry Bird necessarily they know exactly. who he is they know the name but they don't really know that's exactly a perfect mean. example because Larry Bird now steps on you know he's been in management so obviously he's still his name's still out there but had he not been you put him in a in a basketball clinic now and the players are 20 years old. I mean, he retired around when the players were born. So unless you played in the last six years, seven years, yeah. the players wouldn't know you. So that's how, so now it's 2020. Unless you were born in I'm, – I'm sorry. Unless you were you were playing still around 2015, 2014, players aren't going to know you. Yeah. So this is way behind. Well, I know I know you, Tab. Yeah. <laughs> you have the beauty of YouTube now, though, hey, too. Hey, my friends yeah. know, know me. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and YouTube, you'd be amazed at how much they'll go back and, and YouTube, guys, and start to figure out. Well, we're seeing it with Kobe now. I think a yeah. lot of fathers are teaching their young kids about right. about Kobe. Like, no, you need yeah. to watch this right. and see exactly what he was like as a player. Right. Um, have you changed your opinion of any of your coaches you had in the past now that you've been a coach? I well, I mean that's a great question because I think I I I've been really lucky. I've had some great coaches uh through my whole career and I and I realized how different they all were and that you can take something from all of them. Yeah. And I wish I could say, you know, this coach is terrible, but I, I really had good coaches. I could take something from everybody and I think the kind of coach I am today if I had to say, it probably takes a little piece of all the coaches that I've had in the yeah. past. Are you familiar with the story of Rudy Tomjanovich? And uh, I mean, I know who that is. There's a, yeah, there's a little bit yeah. of a, okay, there's a common yeah. ground here, uh, yeah. which to bring up a very tender part of your past, which is uh, when in the 94 World Cup when you got elbowed by Leonardo. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, you spent how long in the hospital after that? Uh, in the actual hospital, only a few days, but I was out of the game for about five months. For five months. Okay, yeah. so when you meet Rudy Tomjanovich, yeah. I have no idea how you'll bring this up, but you yeah. two share something in common, which was in 1977, he was punched by Kermit Washington in a game. I've seen that. Before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen that. Um, and going back and reading about that incident with Leonardo and his incident with Kermit Washington, there's so many similarities. Um, and and it, it, you know, kind of the frailty with which you realize your career might hinge on. Did that change you at all? Did that did, did that change your view of the game or, or anything? Or was it just kind of an injury and you moved on from it? No, I mean, it, it did because I, I saw a number of doctors that told me that I probably shouldn't play anymore. And then at that point, I realized how important the game is to me. You know, because at the same time, I had, you know, a hundred attorneys calling me trying to sue everybody. So like, oh, you know, if you just stop playing – you know, we could sue, you know, U.S. soccer. We could sue FIFA. We could sue the World Cup. We could sue the venue. We could sue Brazil. We could – okay. Yeah. I, I want to play, though. Yeah. I want to play. Yeah. So I don't care who you can sue. I want to play. So I, I wouldn't go down that road. And I realized how important the game was for me and that I wasn't ready by any means to, to sort of leave it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this season, what are your expectations for the Dynamo? Uh, to win the championship. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why we do this every yeah. year. And, you know, whether, you know, at point at sometimes you fall short or not, I think anything less than, ex than expecting to win the championship. Otherwise, why do we come to work every day? Mm -hmm. I mean, I showed the players in their first meeting, here's the MLS trophy. At the end of the year, this is what we want to have here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's our starting point. Everything in camp going as you had planned? Everything's going so. well. 
you know, I mean, and I, I think you, you know, to follow up your, your, the answer to that question is you have to take certain goals in between, right? And the first one is making the playoffs. If, if you don't make the playoffs, you can't win the championship. And so one step at a time, I right. have to get to where we want to get to. I feel good about opening up on a, on a leap year day, February 29th. There's something <laughs> special about that. You'll always remember that. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'll remember it no matter what. But yeah, yeah, that'll be special for sure. I really appreciate it, Tab. Thanks Thank for you so much. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.